Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. They call me Q Ward mostly because like because my name is is Quentin. <laughs> but never mind. Just we can just go with Q. Hey, Q works for me. I ain't mad at that one bit. And uh, of course, we're back up in you one more again to broadcast the balance and to defend the discourse to bring all things that you may or may not know about happening in black America in hopes of creating better allies and more informed purveyors and partakers of black culture. Um, be sure to stick around your radio because today we have a lot to talk about, including um, a school district in Oregon that once upon a time, we talked about this on the show, they banned BLM protests and uh, posters and, and paraphernalia and that sort of stuff on their campus. Well, now apparently they have some students that are participating in some online slave auctions. So we definitely need to talk about that. Um, we're also going to talk about whether or not the NFL should play the Black National Anthem in addition to the regular National Anthem. There's some, some big names that have some thoughts about that. Um, and of course, we're going to discuss what that means. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, the history of the, Sp the Star Spangled Banner. So we're going to do that with our Way Black History Fact. And of course, we are going to uh, spend some time talking about Ebony Excellence. This time we're going to talk about Lil Nas X. He's been in the news a lot, but uh, we want to give him some credit where it's due because not all of the news makes its way to your ears. So all that and more coming up in today's episode of Civic Cipher. Certainly some stuff you don't want to miss out on. So with that said, let's get into some Ebony Excellence. How do you feel about that, Q? Let's get it. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, um, Lil Nas X, for those that know, uh, Lil Nas X is the person who sang Old Town Road. That was the number one, number one song of all time. The longest running number one uh, hit record in the history of hit records. Um, and of course, he's got some other uh, songs. And more recently, he's made news just being controversial. He's done a lot of stuff with like some demonic symbols. He was, you know, had a pregnant belly. And it was a metaphor for him, him bringing his album into the world. And, you know, everyone takes issue with this guy. But I want to um, talk about him for a second because I do believe that he's an example of ebony excellence. Um, for those who don't know, Lil Nas X was named 2021 Suicide Prevention Advocate by LGBTQ organization, The Trevor Project. He started a fundraiser with The Bail Project and raised $60,000 for incarcerated individuals nationwide. Um, for his registry for his Montero album, where he had the, the pregnant belly, um, he created a baby registry, and that registry spotlights 16 charities focused on healthcare, justice, and LGBTQ and BIPOC causes. Um, so definitely uh, someone who's not just antagonizing people, think Takashi 69 but actually is really trying to take this controversy that surrounds him and point it in the right direction. Um, in, addi in addition to those, um, I've seen that he's cash-apped actual pregnant people um, to help them prepare for the babies that they're coming. He's also made children's hospital visits in Atlanta, where he's from, and he's partnered with UGG and made pride-themed uh, boots and a pride-themed collection to benefit GLAD. Um, and of course, he's donated to the Freedom Fund of Minneapolis after the protest of 2020. So once again, want to take the time out to highlight some ebony excellence this week. It's Lil Nas X, and we're not mad at that at all. 
So, yeah. With that said, it's time to get to the meat and potatoes of today's show. So, you heard me talk about uh, the Oregon School District that banned the BLM posters and the the T-shirts and, you know, all the signage and everything like that. Well... Um, as I mentioned, uh, and this, a lot of these notes come from the Atlanta Black Star. So if you want to check out the, the various articles for yourself, um, that's what the source for this material. But um, now they have students that were involved in a slave auction, and they were joking about what they pay for their Black classmates, right? Um, so that by itself is alarming. Um, and I think that for me, it shows exactly why these conversations about Black Lives Matter and, and the history of uh, Black people in this country, why these things need to be taught in schools. Um, you know, these, these, these uh, teachings have been challenged uh, across the country. We've done many uh, episodes talking about that. Um, and then, of course, there are people who can't get past this silly notion that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization or ter- domestic terrorist group and they're you know, whatever, whatever new story that they come up with that they invent out of the thin blue sky. Um, and then repeat, you know, but there's no real source to, you know, the majority of, you know, what they talk about. But I think that this really um, illuminates why the conversations are necessary, why it's necessary to say things like Black Lives Matter and why Black Lives Matter does have a presence in society and, dare I say it, even on school campuses. You know, um, for those things to be politicized um, by the school board, I think it ignores the humanity of it because Black Lives Matter, regardless of how you feel about it, can exist as a statement on its own in its own right, just as a thought. And anybody that agrees with that is, should be able to share that thought or wear that th- thought on their clothes, on a button, on, you know, on a sign if they so chose. This is my thoughts on it. And I believe that when you don't do that, you end up with situations like this. Now, um, you might recall we did talk about a Snapchat slave auction where there were some students in it might have been Michigan Um you know, just talking about their classmates and, you know, getting off all kinds of, you know, racist language that, of course, these children picked up from their homes or, you know, other whatever, wherever they get it from, because no one's born being racist. We know that. Um, but what I have here says in the Snapchat group chat, students use photos of students and racist slurs and joked about how much they pay for black classmates. The chat first popped up in Michigan. So that's when uh, you and I first talked about it, Q, late last year and has also surfaced in Texas, of course. (laughs) But on Friday, others reported uh, one student's use of the chat. And I want to read this quote and get your thoughts, Q. Uh, Newburgh High School became aware of a very serious and inappropriate incident on social media in which one of our students took part in a Snapchat group themed slave trade and use photos of other Newburgh high school students in the group. The district's statement said, um, hang on, let me read this too, and then get your thoughts. Uh, screenshots posted on Instagram by a user named Royce Dewey show a discussion of students, private lives and the prices other students would pay for them. Screenshots show student comments such as all blacks should die 
and let's have another Holocaust. Okay. Your initial reaction to that. I've read before that racism is so inherently American that when you protest racism, our proud patriots think that you're protesting America and frame it as such. When we have a political party whose last leader campaigned on the idea of racism, bigotry, and uh, divisism, that makes a statement like Black Lives Matter political because it's anti the entire messaging for that political party. So then a school parrots that, you know, parrots that political belief and bans students from simply saying other people's lives that don't look like me matter. <laughs> but they're comfortable doing so in a school district where a large enough segment of the population feels that way anyway. So they don't get pushback. They don't have anybody digging deeper or trying to teach any lessons. It's far more comfortable that way. And even though people are not born racist, people are born into racist families. Sure. People are born to racist parents. Sure. And their teachings and teachings and ideologies from their very first thought, their very first words are racist. Uh, even in, in some cases by parents who would never consider themselves that because they hear the term and understand it to be a bad thing, even though they share all the beliefs, thoughts, and ideologies of a person that is. No one just wants, no one wants to be called that bad word. Even if they had a shirt on that says, I am by definition this. Um, and there's something about our young people expressing things like that that hurts and hits me in my stomach in a way that's different than adults. I don't know why I don't have a explanation for it, but when you were just reading what they were saying in that group chat, knowing that it was impressionable teenagers that hit me different. I typically hear stuff like that and get mad. This time it was like, Oh man, you know what I mean? Like I felt sad for them instead of mad at them. Sure. Sure. That, that was my, my initial response as I heard it was like, oh, man, you know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's a, as you know, that's a different response for me. Typically, I hear stuff like that and I'm ready to yeah. flip the tables over and throw stuff. Yeah. But when you just read that, I felt bad. I felt sad for them. You know, um, the thing that, that, that really sucks, man. So, so the thing that getting back to the school district. And their initial ban on Black Lives Matter and pride symbols being worn on the campus or being displayed. Um, that really feels like that passivity that is oftentimes associated with white moderates, as MLK put it. Um, folks who this isn't really my problem. 
and I really don't want to rock the boat. So let me just try my best to step away and hopefully it'll all blow over. It's those people. And I'll say it, those cowards. Um, and I, I, ch I choose that word carefully because sometimes people need to, to, to hear it. You know, there's been times in my life when I've maybe behaved in a similar manner. And, and when you use strong words like that with me, you know, I tend to react to it because no one wants to be called that. But if that's, you know, if that's a fair statement, I think that it should stand on its own. Um, and this story reminds me specifically of the way our show started, Civic Cipher, um, where we went to our old program director. This is the short version of the story, but we went to our old program director um, in 2020. Uh, and we says, Hey, can we put on a show that will allow some of the leadership on the streets to come up to the station and explain what they mean when they say defund the police, because it sounds scary if they don't get to explain it, but if they explain it, it sounds like it's actually been given some thought. And I think that people who listen to this radio station that plays 70% black artists and 100% black music. Than that. Say again? Probably a higher percentage than that. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. So, um, but, you know, the point is it's 100% black music. This is, this is the sounds. I can trace these sounds to a slave field, you know, and that's, there's a lot of different radio stations in this country whose sounds get traced back to a slave field, right? And so my challenge was, you know, you should set aside some time so that these people whose culture you're profiting from, these are my people too, you know, um, whose culture you're profiting from, um, can say their piece. You know, be a, be a real ally in this moment. Do you love black people? Because you clearly love black culture. It's feeding your families. And, you know, do you love black people? Yes. If so, then allow them a, a a moment of time on your airwaves. You got 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Give, give these people an hour per week to come up and say their piece, to maintain a relationship with the, with the community that you're profiting from, right? And as the story goes, um, you know, uh, Q and I were told no, um, that uh, they wanted to do uh, the FCC mandated show. Uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, what's it called? An um, community service type of thing that the FCC mandates every uh, broadcast station do. And uh, the one at that station was about um, going to the dentist and getting your teeth fixed or getting your teeth cleaned or something like that. Good dental health. So that was the PSA they were running. And uh, they opted to run that instead of run the show you're listening to right now, Civic Cipher. And so we had to resign because obviously that's, <laughs> we could not be complicit in that behavior. Um, we felt that black lives were worth more than that. And ultimately they came around when the community found out what happened when we resigned, you know, the community stood by us. And this is why, um, you know, we were able to create Civic Cipher. And then because of the support of many programmers around the country, now you're hearing our voice voices. Um, but this story about this, school in Oregon kind of feels the same way. 
um, you know, at our old station, they were like, you know, we really just don't want to get involved, you know, in any of this stuff. We don't want to pick a side. And of course, the station was in Arizona, which at the time was still a very red state. And a lot of the advertisers of that radio station, um, you know, might have had some right leaning corporate, you know, uh, bigwigs who might have taken issue with the station picking a side or something. Who knows what their their thinking was. But our charge was that, hey, this is life and death. Hey, we really need to change these ideologies. We need we need to really do something. And because this station has, I think it had a 40,000 watt signal and it broadcast to, you know, Phoenix, 6 million people, you know, there's your opportunity to be on the right side of history, you know? And uh, I, I think that I see the same thing here when I'm looking at this uh, school, the Newburgh High School, because they had an opportunity. It was brought to their doorstep. The problem was set squarely in their lap and they had to take it to vote to say, are the students allowed to say with their clothing, with their signage, with anything, are they allowed to say that Black Lives Matter? Are they allowed to show support of LGBTQ students? You know, these students oftentimes, um, you know, we talked about when we talked about Lil Nas X, you know, suicide prevention, you know, that's a tough road. I, I don't know myself firsthand, but sometimes when I listen to stories of my um, LGBTQ brothers and sisters, you know, my heart breaks because I recognize that's, that's a, that's a tough road. And so we have to, by definition, stand in solidarity with them, um, you know, as, 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 you know, folks who hold a, a space for black voices, you know, we also try our best to be allied to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Um, and, you know, really all of our brothers and sisters who are marginalized to some degree or another. Um, but I digress, you know, in looking at this school, I see the cowardice in their refusal to allow those statements to exist in their world. They want to pretend like everything is okay. They want to pretend like everything is going to blow over. And then now what we're seeing, of course, is one of their very own students coming up in, at least in this report, talking about all, how all blacks should die. Obviously he didn't get the memo that black lives matter. You know, who knows? Maybe that those signs could have made some sort of impression. Maybe you could have found friendship, you know, by, you know, um, seeing someone with a shirt, you know, that he was already friends with. And perhaps the concepts being explained to him, you know, he's still a student, which means that he can still learn. Um, I'm assuming it's a he, you know, the name Royce Dewey. Um, but, you know, the other part of this is let's have another Holocaust, you know, uh, that's rooted in Nazism, you know, so someone has to teach the student that, you know, no one's born knowing about the Holocaust either. So again, what I see is cowardice in that decision. Now I want to read a little bit more. Um, so this is what happened earlier quote, as a school board, it's our job to make decisions that are going to be there for every single kid at Newburgh High School, not just the kids that are represented in one group. It has to be all ki kids. Board Chair Dave Brown said at the time, right? So his refusal <laughs> to uh, highlight one group of students that really needed it has now affected all kids because what we see is racist behavior continuing to happen from what I'm assuming is a non-Black student. Um. And I got a couple of quotes here that I, I want to get off just to kind of show 
what the community is thinking. Obviously, the school board, you know, uh, decries this action and calls it reprehensible and so forth. But one of the fathers said about Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter flag during the meeting, quote, it's certainly not a symbol of love to those of us that have members of our family in law enforcement, end quote. Um, so I want to challenge that because there are some people who really feel that way. Maybe they're not listening here, but you as a listener might come across people who feel this way and may not have the, the, the language to, to challenge that sentiment. And the truth is, um, Black Lives Matter uh, has some aggressive tactics, you know, and some aggressive language, and rightfully so. It's, it's challenging a system that has been bullying black and brown bodies for, for centuries. You're speaking about the organization, however. Sure, sure. But um, the, so the organization, what, what I know is on the streets, there's a lot of people that take the incendiary language and run with it. The organization, I have not seen that, but I have seen it to some degree being sort of aggressive, you know, and, and I think that it's meant to agitate. The Panthers did the same thing. They called the police pigs and, and so forth and so on. And I do think that there's a place for that in society. We have free speech in this country. And if you want to get the needle moving or get some attention, a lot of times that certainly does help that cause. Whether or not it's right, I don't you know, know, but I do recognize how as a tactic it can be effective in getting attention. The reason, the reason I interjected, though, Go ahead. a person that reads Black Lives Matter and thinks that it is somehow antonym, antithesis, opposite of, enemy to law enforcement. is without even trying, making the point for those who marched in the streets saying that very statement, whether or not they were representatives of the organization or not. The fact that this person heard, read, or saw Black Lives Matter and felt that that was somehow something hurtful, the statement in and of itself, the flag in and of itself was somehow a hateful or hurtful symbol to law enforcement. So that's what I want to talk about. So what the, the, the major challenge of Black Lives Matter to law enforcement has been the system. There has never been, you know, a, a system in place to execute police officers, you know, but you can make an argument that there is definitely a system in place and has been in place for many years, many hundreds of years um, that executes and terminates the lives of black people and brown people in this country. Right. Um, so the purpose of black lives matter um, or rather the, the statements uh, that are often directed at policing is really directed at the system, dismantling the system, rethinking what policing means, um, revisiting different ideas of community policing, um, defunding the police so that they don't look like a military. They look like police officers that, yes, they can fight crime, but they don't have to show up to get a cat out of a tree or to, you know, do a welfare check. You know, you don't need a murder weapon to see if somebody's doing OK. You don't need a murder weapon to pull someone over most of the time. But this culture of fear that really inhabitates, you know, the policing systems in this country has kind of 
caused Black Lives Matter to come up with to rethink what policing is, should be, and they've gotten a lot of support, which is why we're still talking about it now. Now, I do want to read um, another quote because a mother disagreed with this uh, person saying that uh, Black Lives Matter was a challenge to law enforcement. Um, and she cited that um, the student participation in the slave auction was a clear illustration of the racism and discrimination that plagues the community. Um, and the board members are now taking a second look at the ban after passing it with a four to three vote last month. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, and one last quote I want to leave you with, uh, it's quote, my heart is so broken for these kids who have gotten the message that they are not even seen as human by some of their fellow students. End quote, Heidi Pender, the mother of a black student at the school told KGW News, quote, to imagine your own child being talked about as if they were subhuman slaves to be sold by other students. It made me feel like I was going to throw up End quote. So we're going to leave that right there. And um, yeah. And now, proper propaganda. Watch it back, crack. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists, too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. If you are just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Jop. They call me Q Ward. And I would love for you to stick around because coming up, we are going to be talking about whether or not the NFL should play the Black National Anthem in addition to the National Anthem. Um, we're also going to talk about the Star Spangled Banner and the reason that it didn't become our National Anthem for a century. Um, a lot of folks don't know about that, so we're going to spend our Way Black History Fact discussing that. Uh, but first, we are going to discuss becoming a better ally. So let's get into that right now. Now, um, I don't ever think it's too late to right the wrongs of the past. Um, sometimes it's necessary to do that, to challenge, you know, the status quo and to go back and, you know, make reparations. And today's example uh, illuminates that very well. So what happened is the Senate passed a resolution to honor the first black national spelling bee finalist who was cheated out of her possible victory. Um, so what happened is the Senate passed a resolution that would honor Magnolia Cox, uh, who in 1936 was just 13 years old and was considered a spelling prodigy with an IQ that was off the charts. She was from Akron, Ohio and became the first black to qualify as a finalist for the National Spelling Bee in Washington, DC. However, getting there was far from easy and competing was met with racism because segregation and Jim Crow laws were still very much in place. Cox and another black child, 15 year old Elizabeth Kenny from New Jersey were forced to travel to the National Spelling Bee in the colored car of the train. Despite it all, Cox went on to become the first African-American finalist in the top five. She was well on her way to win the competition, having thoroughly studied the 100,000 word list given to each speller. But the judges who were all white Southerners plotted against Cox and pulled a word that was not on that list. And what happened is, of course, she misspelled the word that wasn't on the list of, that she was given to study. And it wasn't until recently that the senate passed this revolution to honor her and 
I do think that righting the wrongs of the past really has its place because there's this narrative that exists that, hey, that wasn't me that did that. That was a long time ago. It has nothing to do with me. But there's two senators, uh, Ohio Senator Rob Portman and Sherrod Brown. Uh, they both teamed up to pass this resolution in the Senate and right the wrongs of the past. And it is, in my estimation, perhaps the best uh, way to deal with the past if you feel like folks were treated unfairly. It's not to say, okay, that day is over. It's a new day. Let's try to all look forward. No, let's try to make things right. So that is how you can become a better ally. Moving on, we're going to talk about sports. So I know that you're happy about that, Q. <laughs> I wish I could say I was, but I know what we're going to talk about. So so it's a running joke between Q and I um, that, you know, Q, uh, he, he played sports. He played in, in high school, college, all that stuff. I, I think I, I played in high school, but I'm, I've always been a music guy. I've never really been into sports. I don't know the first thing about anything. And I always sound really crazy whenever, you know, we're in those environments talking about that stuff. But today I got time because we're talking about whether or not the Black National Anthem should be played at NFL games. So let me start this off. Um, there's a couple of big names saying, no, this should not be played um, at these NFL games. We should just play the National Anthem. And they're not names that you might think of. Um, one is Bill Maher, who thinks that the Black National Anthem should not be played, and Isaiah Thomas, um, also thinks that the Black National Anthem should not be played. Now, me, Ramses, Ja, Rudy, King Taylor II, I'll give you my full name, I don't care. I think, yeah, why not? And I'll explain why. But first, I want to let you know what Bill Maher said. So here's a quote. I saw last night on the football game, Alicia Keys saying, lift every voice and sing, which now I hear is called the Black National Anthem. Now, maybe we should get rid of our national anthem but I think we should have one national anthem. I think when you go down a road where you're having two different national anthems, colleges sometimes now have, many of them have different graduation ceremonies for black and white, separate dorms. This is what I mean, segregation. You've inverted the idea. We're going back to that under a different name. Um, and you know, while I'm at it, I'll, I'll give you a quote from Isaiah Thomas. When you sing the national anthem and then you sing the black national anthem, the only thing that it does is it's emphasizing our separateness. Um, and he said that on the uh, fearless broadcast. Uh, and of course, I have some thoughts on that, but I want to check with you first, Q. What do you think? Man, somehow, sometimes rather the messenger makes the message really, really difficult to receive. Because I don't aggressively disagree with what they're trying to say. Yeah, I know what you mean. Right? You've, you've heard me at times read something and, and even <laughs> out loud wonder what this person was even attempting to mean. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. In this case, I kind of know what they're both trying to say. Sure. You know, just like in, 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 in times in our history 
or W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington were saying very opposite things, but for the very same reason. Sure. So I get what they're trying to get across, but you have Isaiah Thomas on Jason Whitlock's show. Jason Whitlock being a very, very aggressively counter-black, counter-culture black guy, which bless his heart. And Bill Maher, who I spent a lot of years considering an ally, but who has now grown tired of people that are aggressively anti-racist and has taken up a more centric, moderate position himself, which I believe you called earlier in the show, cowardice. Um, it's just like saying, well, when you say Black Lives Matter instead of All Lives Matter, then you're, listen, people, no, we're not. And taking that very, very simplistic straw man position to oppose progress is just as bad as being on the side of the oppressor. The one thing Bill Maher said that I think I kind of agree with, and I only say it kind of because I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. the first time I ever heard it expressed was today. Maybe we rewrite our national anthem and make it more inclusive and make it so we don't have to sing two separate ones. But right now, that more inclusive anthem doesn't exist. So to sing the anthem of only one representative party of America seems a bit unfair as well. But then, you know, that could turn into a slippery slope. We could be sitting here saying we need five different, six different, 12 different. We need a a national anthem for every person where American is the... second part of how they identify the suffix if you will every suffix every group with american as the suffix needs their own national anthem is the slippery slope we could find ourselves going down but all of this stuff people was in response to a situation that put a massive magnifying glass on our country's original sin and our lack of repairedness and reparation. George Floyd was murdered in daylight in front of his fellow citizens by a fellow citizen for what we I want to say absolutely no was for being a black man in America. And I've heard several black people, we spoke about one of them, I refuse to say her name, try to vilify George Floyd and highlight all of his imperfections, all of his shortcomings, all of his perceived failures, all the reasons he shouldn't be a martyr or a hero. As if you have to be perfect to not be murdered. We're in such a hurry to be right that we're not even empathetic or human beings. We want to seem profound and woke. 
and we're taking up positions and stances that are anti-human because the human beings being discussed are black. Wow. Wow. Well said. So black lives matter in the end zone and on the, on the, on the court for the NBA lift every voice and sing at the start of these games. They're in response to what people are seeing happen to black people. And just like in a neighborhood where all the houses have value, the fire department would put the water on the house that's on fire. They wouldn't spray everybody's house and say all these houses have value. No, there's a house on fire here. Let's put that fire out. Black people in this country are the house on fire. So even if you don't think lift every voice and sing is the right solution to the problem. It's just someone saying, hey, man, I know there's more that we should do, but let's, can we start here? Can we do something? Can we show some symbol that we're in this with you, that we care, that we see you, that yes, you do matter? Because somehow asking to matter, demanding to matter is that you've gone too far now. You know what? Um, there's a lot of points that you were making that I I wanted to kind of go a little bit more in the detail. Now, my thinking is, you know, the the Black National Anthem. If and if you don't know, lift every voice and sing. Please um, Google it, listen to it. I think it has, uh, they're called stanzas, three stanzas. So it's a long song. It'll, it'll last a few minutes, like maybe three minutes or so. So listen to the whole thing. And if you have a beating heart in your chest, you will feel something if you try to imagine what life is like um, as a black person with the legacy that black people have. It just, it's a moving um, human experience. You don't have to be black to enjoy it. Um, it's not the most like you're not going to turn up at the club to the black national anthem. You, you dig what I'm saying? It's not that kind of a party. But if you have a beating heart, as I stated, you'll be able to feel it. Right. Um, and the words of the song. Are so meaningful and so powerful. Right. Um, and th- I believe that's sort of how it became the quote unquote black national anthem. You know, it just kind of is one of those old songs that has been passed on and passed on. And it reflects a different journey, a different experience, a different legacy. You know, uh, obviously there's the mainstream legacy, but the regular national anthem cannot account for uh, all of the, the weight of being black in the same country. I promise there's black people that love this country just the same. They, they'll bleed for this country. They'll die for this country. They wear the stars and the stripes on their military uniforms, so forth and so on. But there's a different connection to this country, you know, a different relationship with the United States of America. And the reason that we're having this conversation today 
And the reason why I'm not opposed to them playing both national anthems is because the NFL, as you stated, Q, I believe is taking their rightful place and acknowledging that to a degree, the beginning of really everything we've seen in the past few years, two, three years, started with the NFL and Colin Kaepernick, him protesting police brutality and police injustice and police not being held accountable for taking lives of black and brown people with no repercussions. And, you know, the NFL, in their initial act of cowardice, and I'm going to call it what it is, you know, now it seems like they're making those or trying to make those wrongs right. And I applaud that. That's why I said I support this. But now um, if they're able to and this isn't this isn't everything, but it's something because they're still playing the national anthem. They still want everyone to stand so that they don't have people, you know, boycotting or burning Nikes or whatever it is that folks were doing back then. Um, they'll play the national anthem. Everyone stand, but they'll also play the, the black national anthem. So from the NFL's perspective, it's like, listen, we recognize that there's something that we have to do. So I get it playing the, the Chinese national anthem or the, you know, the whatever other national anthem. Um, that is what is, what's at the end of that slippery slope. But as you mentioned, Q, the Chinese, quote unquote, the Chinese house isn't on fire, you know, in the same way, in the same arena. You know, there, there's we've certainly had our conversations about, you know, stop Asian hate. And we'll, we'll always stand in solidarity with our Asian brothers and sisters not to pick on them. I just needed a, an example. Um, but uh, if their house is not on fire on this block, this block being the NFL, then perhaps the NFL should focus on, hey, let's make sure that we take a step to kind of bridge these two. And to, to Bill Maher and Isaiah Thomas who are saying, hey, look, this is, this is further dividing us, which is effectively what I think they're trying to say. This is, why are we doing the same thing twice? Or we're, we're taking these people and making them separate from, you know, the normal, you know. Um, I think that neither of them are really in touch with what it's like to be on the streets. Neither of them, both of those people are rich people. They live in a different America too, right? Um, so they're, perspective on things i mean obviously there should be lots of voices at at the table all this these discussions should involve many different vantage points i don't love it but i accept that you know that's the way you get to a happy medium or maybe an unhappy medium but progress nonetheless um but i don't know that these people really get it i think they're looking at what's wrong with it as opposed to what's right with it and what's right with it is it's a move to try to heal. Now, there's always going to be people that take exception with it. But these people are supposed to be allies and advocates of Black people and, and a Black agenda, certainly in modern times in this country. There, there's, we need to, you know, make some progress as Black people. We need to, you know, get these prison population numbers down. We need to close, excuse me, the, the economic gap. We need to, you know, remedy a lot of the the ailments of black America that, that disproportionately affect black people and brown people in this country. Um, and then of course, as we mentioned, we need to discuss 
the way the criminal justice system deals with black and brown bodies and black and brown people with respect to sentencing and pretty much every single step along the way in the political uh, system and in the uh, criminal justice system. And so if you just look at, oh, we're further divided by playing two national anthems, as opposed to looking at it like, okay, what, what positive does this bring? You know, which I didn't see in any of these quotes. And granted, I, I recognize sometimes quotes, you know, get taken out of context and so forth. But, you know, my understanding was that these people kind of stood firmly on these hills. Um, I think that what they're doing is they're missing the point. And it's very easy to miss the point when you're not on the ground, when you're not seeing how the NFL has, I, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but, you know, in my mind's eye, when I think of an NFL player, you know, that's, it's someone black, you know, there's tons of black people that play in the NFL and the NBA and, you know, a bunch of sports, you know, so um, they have to reconcile. Okay. Well, listen, just like that radio station we discussed that we used to work at. Okay. We're making money off of black people, a good number of them. And we have done some dastardly acts in the past and we need to find a way forward. What can we do that perhaps accounts for black people's experience as well? What can we do that brings some sort of healing to the injustice that we've committed in the past. Now, I'm not sure that that's what they were thinking, but the act certainly um, feels that way. Now, I want to read another quote from Isaiah Thomas. Um, he says, quote, our founding fathers, when they wrote the Constitution and everything else, they were talking about bringing us together under one umbrella, under one Constitution where all men and women were created equal. I'll come back to that. Um, when you sing these two different anthems, you're just emphasizing there are two different statuses in this country, black and white. Now, as we've well documented on this show, there are two different statuses in this country, black and white. So this is why I say Isaiah Thomas is perhaps out of touch, not on the ground level. Ramses Ja. Yes. Keep you know, I hate to cut you off. Oh, please. Does he know these same founding fathers wrote that while owning us as property? Yeah, while they were owning us. But I hear well, I'll, I'll help you out. Watch this. He says, um, under one constitution where, this is a direct quote, by the way, under one constitution where all men and women are created equal. Now, you know the term. I know the term. It did not have women in there. It said all men were created equal, right? So this is, you know, what people are able to do, rewrite history, make it put some flowers on it. No. You know, even this whole thing, you know, if I was a judge, I would throw this whole thing out of court. Because it's like, no, you got it wrong. And you're trying to, you're, you're embellishing and you're taking some liberties here that really don't work. You're trying to uh, establish a new narrative and it doesn't fit. Okay. Um, now, I do want to um, add to that, that, uh, let's see, the uh, USA Today poll shows that Americans agree that young children should not be taught about racism before they're even old enough to read a basic sentence, with just 22% saying children should begin learning about racism in kindergarten. So that shows where we are in this country, that we still need to convince 
the population that racism should be taught. We, we should t- teach children that this exists when you identify it, you know, to separate yourself or try to educate or whatever, challenge it, you know. Um, another statistic, uh, more than eight in 10 Americans, uh, the exact number is 82% be- believe the country is divided. Um, and 23% feel the country is more united under President Biden. So that means 75 per- or 77% still think that the country is as divided as it's ever been. And Biden hasn't really made any or, ch- or more numbers. so. Say again. Yeah, you said it or, or that it's or either. Me as divided or worse than it was and come exactly now i'm going to leave you with this before we get to our way black history fact you know the ice cream truck song you can hear it in your head yep okay so that song actually started out since we're talking about songs um if you look it up it's called it's the n-word with the with the e-r-n-i-g-g-e-r love a watermelon ha 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 that's the name of that song um and it merits the distinction of the most racist song title in America, released in March 1916 by Columbia Records. It was written by actor Harry C. Brown and played on the familiar depiction of black people as mindless beasts of burden, greedily devouring slices of watermelon, um, which, if you don't know, that stereotype of black people loving watermelon comes from black people eating watermelon at a time when black people weren't served ice cream because it was considered more of a treat. Um, so, yeah. Let's uh, lean into this a little bit more because I want to get into our way black history fact. Today's way black history fact is the reason the Star Spangled Banner didn't become our national anthem for a century. So, um, I'm going to read this to you. Um, This comes from the Washington Post, by the way. It was September of 1814. The British had sacked Washington and torched the White House. The conflict became known as the War of 1812, even though it was in its third year. The British had also taken prisoners, including a popular doctor from Prince George's County in Maryland. A friend of the doctor sailed on a ship flying a truce flag to negotiate a prisoner exchange with the Royal Navy. The mission was successful. The British commanders agreed to free the doctor, but while on the ship, the man, a 35-year-old lawyer named Francis Scott Key, overheard plans for a surprise attack on Baltimore. He and the doctor would not be allowed to leave until the attack was over. That's how Key ended up witnessing the bombardment of Fort McHenry while aboard a British ship. He couldn't tell from his vantage point who had won or lost, but at dawn, he saw the American flag, 15 stars and 15 stripes at the time, still waving over the fort, and was inspired to write the poem soon. It was set to the tune of an existing song, and that's the short version of how the Star Spangled Banner came to be. Now, the longer version of this story, uh, both the song uh, and the story, and of the man who wrote it, reveals not only why it has become controversial now in this season of racial reckoning, football, and presidential campaigning, but why it was too controversial to become the national anthem for more than a century after it was written. First, a few things to know about the War of 1812. One of the main issues was the British patience, or sorry, the British practice of imprisonment. Sorry, I'm sorry. The British practice of impressment, the forced conscription of American sailors to fight for the Royal Navy. 
plus the British promised refuge to any enslaved Black people who escaped their enslavers, raising fears among white Americans of large-scale revolt. The final provocation was that men who escaped their bonds of slavery were welcome to join the British Corps of colonial marines in exchange for land after their service, as many as 4,000 people, mostly from Virginia and Maryland, accepted. It's important to know these things because the Star-Spangled Banner, originally called the Defense of Fort McHenry, has more than one verse. The second half of the third verse ends like this. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight nor the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. Okay, I'm going to pause right here because no refuge could save the hiring and slave. That means that even if you escaped and you were a slave, you, you're not going to find any refuge here. We're, we're killing everybody. America's killing everybody, right? Um, and that part comes here from terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. So that means that we're still trying to kill these slaves who are trying to escape to join the British to be free. All right. Now, back to my reading here. These lyrics are a clear reference to the colonial Marines, according to Jefferson Morley, author of Snowstorm in August, Washington City, Francis Scott Key, and the Forgotten Race Riot of 1835. Quote, they are clearly meant to scorn and threaten the African-Americans who took the British up on their offer, he wrote in a recent essay for the Washington Post. He surely knew about the colonial Marines, and it's even possible he saw them among the contingent of British ships that sailed into the Baltimore Harbor. And even if these lyrics aren't meant to be explicitly racist, Key clearly was. He descended from a wealthy plantation family and enslaved people. He spoke of black people as a, quote, distinct and inferior race, end quote, and supported emancipating the enslaved only if they were immediately shipped to Africa, according to Morley. During the Andrew Jackson administration, Key served as the district attorney for Washington, D.C., where he spent much of his time shoring up enslavers' powers. He strictly enforced slave laws and prosecuted abolitionists who passed out pamphlets mocking his jurisdiction and, quote, land of the free home of the oppressed, end quote. Although the Star-Spangled Banner and all its verses were immediately famous, Key's overt racism prevented it from becoming the national anthem while he was alive. Morley wrote, there was no official anthem and many people chose to sing other songs like My Country, Tis of Thee. Tis of thee. Uh, and to wrap it up, Key's anthem gained popularity over time, particularly amongst post-Reconstruction white Southerners and the military. In the early 20th century, all but a few... All, sorry, all but the first verse were cut, not for their racism, but for their anti-British bent. The United Kingdom was by then an ally of the United States. After the misery of World War I, the lyrics were again controversial for their violence, but groups like the United Daughters of the Confederacy, uh, that's the um, Ku Klux Klan, I believe, fought back, pushing for the song to be made the official anthem. Uh, in 1931, President Herbert Hoover made it so. Now, black people singing that song, <laughs> standing up and singing that song at a football game has a different meaning to it, doesn't it? You know, and a black national anthem perhaps more accurately reflects the black experience in this country, the, the, the legacy that we have as black people. Right. Makes a little bit more sense now after after hearing that. How dare you not stand with your hand over your heart? 
when we sing this song about capturing and murdering your ancestors? How dare you? It's crazy. But um, this is what I mean. You know, when we talked about that um, inward love a watermelon song, you know, it just gets ingrained into society. The national anthem, it gets ingrained into society. And then people are so patriotic, you know, um, you know, artificially patriotic because most of them wouldn't actually go out and die for the country. You know, uh, it's my belief. But, um, you know, there's this, it's basically racism in, and, and it's, there's a thin veil of patriotism over it, you know. Um, but they're so vocal and they're so committed to the way things were and, and the heritage and all these, these, these buzzwords that really work for the right wing that it would be nearly impossible to change the national anthem. And even people on the left, you know, people who are a little bit more liberal in their beliefs, that, that's a tall order, right? So what the NFL is doing by saying, hey, look, there's another song that accurately reflects the black history in this country. It's known as the Black National Anthem, and we can play this as well. I think that it's a step in the right direction. I think Bill Maher is a guy who's speaking out of turn. And I think Isaiah Thomas hasn't had boots on the ground in too long to really render an opinion um, like that and not have it challenged. You know, because the first place I'm going is to pick apart, like, what have you done for me lately? You understand? So those are my thoughts. Q, any last words? We got a few seconds. Uh, United Daughters of the Confederacy um, helped give the Klan their almost legendary neo-Nazi racist lore. So they're not one in the same, but they're essentially their, they were essentially their marketing firm. Got it. Okay. Well, that's um, good to know. That's, and, that's good to know. We needed to know and that. Isaiah Thomas, Chicago's own, the Detroit Pistons' own Isaiah Thomas. Just, just come back home. Hey, man, hopefully he hears it. But, yeah, that's it for us today here on Civic Cipher. Once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. They call me Q Ward. Uh, be sure to hit the website, civiccipher.com, to download this and any previous episodes. P please consider making a donation. The show is growing, and it will continue to grow with your support. And until next week, y'all, peace.